0: Good morning. Our scripture reading is 1 Samuel 24, 16 to 22. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let them get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Thank you, Terry, for
1: reading God's word for us this morning. So I'd like to begin this morning with a question. What was the the beginning of your life like? By that question, I'll give you a little more (laughs) to that end. Uh, By that question, I mean, what was the situation uh, surrounding your birth and, and the early years of your life? If you had to write your own origin story, what kind of things would you include as part of that story? Was your birth story an easy one or a difficult one? Were you born into a rich family or a poor family or maybe somewhere in between? Do you remember those early years being tough, easy, fun, lighthearted? What moments would you highlight as part of that story? What people or places would have made the cut so influential to your origin story that you would wish to include them? Now, my origin story goes something like this. I was born at the Reading Hospital on April 16th in 1997. Uh, So there you go. There's my birthday. Uh, My mom tells me that my umbilical cord was wrapped around my neck uh, and that she saved my life. (laughs) And she reminds me of that pretty much every time that we're together. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Now, my parents, um, we never... Had a ton of money, but we seemed to get by. Uh, Eventually, uh, you know, I remember in those early years, uh, things being bright and vibrant and things seemed light and easy, at least from my perspective as a kid. Now, from my parents' perspective, I realize now that we have a way of making it seem like that for our kids when maybe it isn't quite like that behind the scenes. Uh, We moved from Reading into Exeter when I was four, so uh, we actually lived in the city of Reading, well, across uh, the river if you're familiar with the area, close to where the Hess Station used to be uh, on Lancaster Avenue, if that rings any bells for anyone. Um, Anyway... Uh, we were in some ways fleeing uh, the city's worsening economic situation in the school systems. My siblings had begun to attend elementary school and were about to move into middle school in Reading. Uh, and my parents uh, didn't think that that was the best path forward for us. Uh, and so Exeter is where I would stay for the rest of my childhood. Now you can tell, uh, just in my telling of that story, that uh, there's probably some things that you can relate to, maybe some things that you can't. But it's interesting to think about you know, the situation in which uh, we began our lives. Right? We all came from somewhere, from someone. Now today's sermon, uh, as we prepare to move into our Advent series, uh, today's ser- sermon will really be a lead-in to the Advent series that we'll uh, start looking at next week. Uh, and we'll be looking at what is the origin story of Jesus Christ. Now to do that, Uh, And this is where it gets a little tricky. We'll actually be going backwards. Uh, So we'll start at the end of Matthew chapter 2, and then we'll be moving the wrong direction, or depends on how you look at it, I guess, uh, to eventually arrive at Jesus' birth. Uh, And so today, uh, really the main point of this sermon is that Jesus' humble beginning paves the way for him to forgive the sin of everyone even those who tried to kill him. So that's where we're going this morning. Uh, Let me pray for us before we begin, and then we'll take a look at our passage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that all of us are here, gathered together in this way. Father, we thank you uh, because all of us had to begin somewhere, and God, even if the situations surrounding our origin story weren't the best, uh, that has happened for a reason. And you have created us to be who we are through our life's situations for a reason. And God, you did the same with your son. So as we look at that story and begin that story this morning, God, uh, would you just speak to us through your word? Help us uh, to see clearly Uh, To see uh, how this impacts who we are and what we do. So speak to us through your word, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, uh, and we're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. Uh, So I have to flip there as well, because I'm still in Matthew 25. (laughs) Uh, So flip to Matthew uh, chapter 2. Right at the beginning of the New Testament, uh, and we're going to be in verses 19 through 23. So like I said, we're uh, moving backwards this uh, through this series. Uh, and so we'll start here uh, in this section, and then we'll move to the section before it, and the section before it, and so on and so forth. And I've split uh, chapter two. It's only a couple verses, but I've split it up into three sections for us this morning. First, we'll talk about a dream of hope in verses 19 through 20. And then we'll talk about a new exodus in verses 21 through 22, uh, and finally, a humble beginning in verse 23. Uh, So let me read the whole thing for us, and then we'll jump back to certain parts as we go. Starting in verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. I'll stop reading for us there. This section, since we're going backwards, there's a couple details that we'll need to fill in as we go. Uh, This section opens up with mention of a man named Herod who had died. Now, this is King Herod, Herod the Great. He's also referred to as that, who is the king of the Jews. Now, Herod will be a recurring character that we'll see in the origin story of Jesus. King Herod ruled from thirty-seven uh, to around 37 to around 4 BC. But though he was the Jewish king, he was not technically Jewish. He was uh, from the line of Abraham, but he was an Edomite. A descendant of Esau, if you remember that story from the Old Testament, branches off Jacob and Esau. So, though Herod thought himself to be Jewish, he did not follow the Jewish law. King Herod was also a supporter of Rome. When the Romans came in and took over an area, we've seen this throughout the book of Matthew, when they came in and took over an area, they would institute a local ruler. I've called them a puppet king to oversee the area for them and keep the peace. Now, Herod's rule was not necessarily a peaceful one. He did do some good things, like expanding and updating the temple. Herod's leadership was constantly in question. And as we'll see uh, throughout the coming weeks, he did some pretty drastic things to try to keep that leadership. We see that alluded to even in these couple verses, that someone was trying to take Jesus' life. The worst of Herod's decrees was his decree to kill babies. And that may, eventually, those babies would go on to maybe threaten his rule in some way. But as we see in these verses, now that King Herod has died, there is a new hope for the Jewish people. Maybe now that King Herod is gone, things will begin to go easier for them. Maybe many can return to Israel who had not been there for a while. And included in that are Mary, Joseph, and the baby Jesus. Joseph receives word through an angel in a dream that this has taken place. It says, get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. Now, they receive this word much faster through an angel appearing in a dream than they would have through a messenger or through someone else. This communication from God through a dream is something that strikes us, the reader, as unusual. But in Jesus' origin story, uh, this communication is actually a pretty normal form of communication for the characters. Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, uh, we see throughout the story, they receive word from angels, from dreams at some point. Now dreams, as many of us know, are often a reflection of reality. Now even if that reality is somewhat distorted or changed from what actually actual reality is. Right? If you spend your time all day thinking about something, worrying about something, those things have their way of showing up in our dreams. Now, this doesn't mean that our dreams are always to be trusted. right? I'm sure many of us have some interesting dreams that uh, we might not want to share. Uh, but that's why... In the Bible, when we see people who have dreams, they're usually symbolic in nature. And so they need to be interpreted as well. When an angel appears to someone in a dream, usually the message is pretty clear. It's abundantly clear to Joseph here what he is supposed to do. Even in the chaos that our dreams normally are, when God enters in and brings a message to us, there is order to that clarity. And so Joseph, to him, it's pretty obvious what he's supposed to do. Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. Now, this is not the first Joseph in Egypt to have dreams, If you're familiar with the Old Testament stories about Joseph, Uh, he would have many notable interactions with dreams in his time in Egypt. He would have his own dreams, he would share from his own dreams, which is what got him in trouble in the first place with his brothers when he had a dream and shared it about how he would rule over them. That probably wasn't the smartest one to share. Uh, But he would also interpret the dreams of other people as a way of climbing the Egyptian social ladder when he was there. Now that Joseph's interaction with dreams would eventually lead to all of his family coming to live in Egypt, which would turn out to not be such a great thing for the people of God. But this Joseph's interaction with dreams in the book of Matthew would lead his family out of Egypt. This Joseph's interactions with dreams would pave the way for Jesus to end up in Israel at the end of his origin story, where he would go on to begin his ministry. And Jesus would then go on to lead the whole family of God out of what is thought of as a spiritual Egypt, lead them into freedom from that. More on that uh, in our next section for this morning. So Joseph gets up and he takes his family back to Israel. Now, this seems like a pretty easy thing, right? For him to, well, just get up and move my family. Uh, But it really isn't that easy. If you remember from the Old Testament, the Exodus story, the Israelite people spent 40 years in the wilderness, walking around and lost though they had other issues that they were dealing with at that time. Now, this exodus from Joseph and his family is symbolic of the exodus of the Jewish people as they left Egypt in the Old Testament. Now, the original exodus, as the Israelites moved out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land, was a means of salvation for them. They were saved from their Egyptian oppressors They were set free from their slavery. And so, too, this exodus, as Joseph brings his family out of Egypt back to Israel, would mean salvation for all people. All people who are enslaved to death and who are oppressed by sin. Now, the original exodus would lead the Jewish people into the promised land, their inheritance, which was promised to them, a land flowing with milk and honey where they could build their home. So too, this exodus, as Joseph, Mary, and Jesus leave Egypt, go back to Israel, would lead all people into a new kind of promised land. Their inheritance is not earthly. They receive their inheritance an in eternity with the Father, heaven. So there's this theme. Hopefully you see it this morning. There's this theme of an exodus that we see in many places throughout scripture. There are many more examples, but this one here in Matthew would not be the last one, but it would symbolize something greater that was to come. Through Jesus, God has delivered all of us from sin. He has saved us delivered us, and brought us into something new. That's what it means to have an exodus. Now, all of us in our lives, we think about our stories over the course of what we've experienced. We have had, maybe we are having, or maybe we will have our own exodus events going from where we were not originally supposed to be to something new something better for us, maybe where we are supposed to be. Even if we are in that place that we're not supposed to be because of our own actions, God is always working to get us to move to that place where we're supposed to be. Now Joseph shows us what the first step in that process looks like. He got up. Now, again, that seems a lot more simple than it probably actually was. Seems really simple, but this is all it takes to start the process of moving from the old into the new. First, Joseph listened to what he heard from God. Now, for him, it was an angel in a dream, so that makes it pretty clear for him. But then he took action. It might have been easier for Joseph to stay in Egypt. Right? Well, even though King Herod has died, they receive word that his son is now ruling and uh, really isn't much better than Herod was in the first place. Maybe Egypt uh, would be safer in the long run. Maybe that would be better for him and his family. But he doesn't. He gets up and he starts moving. So, my question in the midst of all of this this morning is how might God want you, if you were in this story, to get up from where you are and to start moving into something new? What might he want you to do in order to take that first step? What's amazing is that God not only promises to go with us, he promises to go ahead of us in this process. In the original Exodus story, God guided the people of Israel as a pillar of flame, going before them, standing behind them to protect them. And God will do the same for you as you move to something new. And God does this for Joseph in this story. Right? We read that Joseph was warned that Archelaus was not much better, and so they end up going to Galilee. Now God will protect you on your way, and he will get you to where you need to be. Now, I don't know what your answer to this question might be this morning. Uh, but I can give you a hint what it might be for all of us. Where God wants us to be is always closer to him. Now, in this story, Israel is closer uh, to God's presence because uh, his presence would be confined to the temple. Right? Egypt would be so much further away from the promised land. But God doesn't live in a temple anymore lives in our hearts. So how can I move closer to him if that's the case? Finally, in verse 23, Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus, they arrive at their location. Now that they have left Egypt and arrived in Israel, they arrive in a town called Nazareth. Just as it was said through the prophets. Now there isn't a specific quotation here of an Old Testament prophecy. Matthew doesn't quote a specific verse from a specific prophetic book. Uh, instead, Matthew is referencing a prophetic theme that we see from the prophets, a theme that is close to Isaiah 53 verse 3, where it says, "He was despised and rejected by mankind." a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one whom, from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Now the prophets knew that though the Messiah would come to save them, he would have a humble origin story. He would be scorned, looked down upon, not thought well of. As someone would go on to say later in the Gospels, what good can come from Nazareth? Jesus, would be called a Nazarene. And to be a Nazarene was to not be well-respected. Now, Nazareth was a small town, not unlike Morgantown, Pennsylvania, where we are. Maybe a little lower on the socioeconomic ladder. Maybe not well-recognized. See, if you want to be respected, if you want to be well thought of, well, then you would go to Jerusalem. You wouldn't go to Nazareth. Nothing good can come from Nazareth. The cities are where things are happening, where intelligent people go to work, where there is progress and innovation, where the best of the best can be found. That's Well, that's in the cities. At least this is how the thinking went back then and how our thinking also goes today. Now, I have told people that I live in Morgantown, Pennsylvania, and usually their response is, well, where is that? (laughs) Even people who live in Lancaster County don't really know where Morgantown is. We're really not far off of 23, which I think is a major road, but maybe I just assume that because I live here. When I try to help people understand where it is, well, sometimes I'll say, well, you know, it's south of Reading or west of Philadelphia, right? I, I use cities <laughs> as a way to help people recognize where Morgantown is. See, there is significance to the places which we originate, the places from which we come. Places, even though they're really just a collection of people and buildings, Uh, they still have a reputation, for better or for worse. So what is the significance of Jesus having come from Nazareth? Why is this included as part of his origin story? Well, it shows his humility as a person. Because his origin story is a humble one, he knows what it is like to be an outcast in society. He knows what it is like to be despised and looked down upon by other people. We see this in Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees and the Sadducees who come from the influential Jerusalem to question him, right? Jesus can relate to us in this way if we have a humble origin story. Now, Jesus' humble origin story makes what he would go on to do all the more powerful. It might not be that surprising if Jesus was born into a wealthy, influential family and he would go on to do what he did. Well, that's what he was supposed to do, right? But for him to begin at this place, the bottom of the ladder, Nazareth, And rise to the top of influence with crowds following him everywhere that he went. And uh, battling with the religious leaders and the Roman leaders. People following him everywhere that he went. A triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then to be abandoned. Left on the cross to die all alone. But then only to be raised from the dead. Exalted in glory with the Father in heaven. This is where Jesus' story would go from this point. It's really a roller coaster of a story, but it shows what is possible for even the least capable or the least qualified to go and to do the work that God has called them to do, to go on to do great things for Him. More than that, to go on to receive eternal life in heaven. See, Jesus' humble state is representative of our spiritual state as people. See, without him and what he did for us on the cross, all of us are outcasts from God, in a sense. All of us are spiritually poor without him. And all of us despise God in our own way. But with him, all of us are welcomed into a new family. All of us gain spiritual riches. and All of us are able to love God in our own way. See, Jesus' humility is the source of his forgiveness. He humbled himself by leaving his place in glory with the Father in heaven to take on flesh and to dwell with us. But his greatest act of humility this is sacrificing himself on the cross for our sin. See, this is how Jesus loves his fiercest enemies. Even the ones who tried to kill him as a baby. Even the ones who, as part of his origin story, caused his family to have to leave their place of origin and move to a foreign place in Egypt and then have to come back again. Even the ones who would go on to lie about who he was even the ones who would go on to betray him, even us, who have all rejected him in our own way. He died for all of them, for all of us. And he did so because he was humble, because he humbled himself on the cross. So as we prepare for this Advent season, and as we move towards Christmas, here is my challenge to all of you this morning. It's contained here in these verses. There's a formula for us to follow. First, the message comes from God. He tells us what it is that he wants us to do. Then comes a response on our part, getting up to actually do it. But then comes humility, humbling ourselves so that God is able to work through us, to do the things that we could not do ourselves so that he gets all of the glory in the end. So I don't know what it is for you this Christmas season. Maybe there is someone that you know that you need to love, someone who is really difficult to love, We really don't want to love them. We know that God wants us to. Maybe there is someone that we need to forgive. We know that we don't want to forgive them. We know that the person doesn't deserve forgiveness for what they have done to us, but we know that we need to forgive them anyways. Maybe there is something that God wants us to do, something that we know that He has wanted us to do for a long time, but it seems really daunting. We know it's going to be difficult. But we know that that is what we need to do. See, the Christmas season, all of us and what we know of it, is a time of joy, of hope, of merriment, all of those things. But it is only that because it wasn't in the first place. Christmas didn't start out as that. In fact, things started out very much the opposite as we see in this origin story it starts here and ends up as something amazing the great thing about following jesus especially in christmas time is that this becomes true for us too even though it started out in this way it started out maybe how it wasn't supposed to it still ends up as something good This is what the Christmas season is truly about. Let me pray for us as we close and then we will take communion together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. You have given us a path for what it looks like to follow you. We thank you that Really, the origin story of Jesus, though the Messiah had come into the world, um, though it was joyful and hopeful in that moment, may not have seemed to be to many. We thank you, God, that your nature, who you are, is taking things that are wrong, things that we may not think that you can do or use, and then turning them into something glorious something wonderful, something amazing. So Father, this is why we we worship you this morning. This is why we worship you in our lives. We thank you that Jesus is the greatest example of taking something that doesn't seem all that great, but God, you took it and turned it into the best thing that could ever happen to us. We thank you for that. May we remain thankful for that this Christmas season. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.